Welcome to the Guardians of Grace podcast. Relax, you have found the right place. We're here to serve. Join us, holding to pure grace. Again, relax, join in with us. Listen on, be blessed. Hello, my fellow guard dogs. Welcome to another edition of the Guardians of Grace podcast. I'm Steve. Poor Bill can't make it again. He's probably not going to make it for a couple of weeks because he's just under the gun. The cares of the world are, are truly choking him hard. His daughter had surgery. She's laid up in Bill and Ramona's bed trying to heal. He's trying to hold her business down and hold his business down at the same time, plus take care of his elderly parents and he doesn't have a second to breathe just not from sun up till midnight he still can't get the amount of work done that he has to and he's got to do five days worth of work in four days because it's going to be the fourth of july and he has to get it done there's 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 no saying no so please pray for bill that he could get out of that business and be supported doing the Guardians of Grace podcast, which is where his heart's desire is. Mine too. I desire for him to be here too, but please pray for us. Do do all the things like push follow on Podbean. Go to the Podbean website itself go to guardians of grace and push follow so that they'll be nicer to us spread the word if you can give us some support we 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 need it because bill has to he he can't do the podcast he he can't quit his job to do the podcast unless something happens so lord in your name please cause Everything that needs to happen to happen, Lord, in your name. Amen. I mean, selfishly speaking, I get to let the rivers flow out of my big old belly, which is a good thing for me because I'm always bottled up with scriptures and and wanting to share them with everybody. And I think I want to talk a little bit about 2 Corinthians 10. Starting in verse 4, you know that passage that says the weapons of our warfare are not human, but they're divinely powerful to the destruction of forces and destroying speculations and every lofty thing that raises up against the experience of God, experiencing God instead of experiencing God they're trying to tell you something else, but the knowledge of God, experiencing God, that's that's the most valuable thing on this planet is experiencing God. And this passage is talking about these lofty thoughts and thoughts that hit your mind that are contrary to your need to experience God. That's what the whole thing's about here in 1 Corinthians 10. 
just like this whole New Testament is about. All these epistles, as you can see, because we're unveiling passage after passage in the last, we have unveiled passage after passage in the last two years, and you can see that they clearly talk about not using your own human performance, but using the Spirit's power. Well, this passage is no different. This passage is talking about your present tense, day-to-day experiential experiences, about your experiential experiences that come through the day. It's saying we don't war against the sin guy. Remember the sin that was personified in Romans 7 and became a master and waged war in your members and took you captive to do its will? Well, we don't wage war against him with our human nature. That was what Romans 7 was saying. In my human nature, I'm sold into bondage to sin. I'm a slave of sin because I do what I don't want to do and I don't do what I do want to do and I do the very evil that I hate. Man, who, who will save me? And he says, Jesus Christ will save me. Well, this passage says the exact same thing. It says we don't war in our human effort, but we have a divine power. And guess what this passage is going to say that divine power is? Duh. You know what it's going to say. It's going to say Jesus Christ is our divine power. Watch and see if the passage doesn't say our divine power is Jesus Christ. It's too beautiful, but we use Jesus Christ to take control of our lofty thoughts and our imaginations that don't know to depend on the Spirit's power. Jesus Christ causes us to remember, I'm dependent on the the power of Jesus in me. I'm waiting for him to manifest himself. That's the Christian life. That's what the Christian life is. That's what defines the Christian life. We are the vessels. We are the instruments. We are the automatrons, whatever you want to call us. We are the jars of clay that he lives in and he uses and he manifests himself through. That is the new covenant. I create a new covenant for you. And in that new covenant, I'll put my spirit within you. What spirit do you think that is? It's the spirit of Christ. That's what Jesus said in the upper room discourse. He said, my spirit will come and be in you. And in that day that it is in you, you'll know that I am in you. I think that's John 14, 20. You'll know that I am in you. Doesn't get much clearer than that. In other words, on the day of Pentecost, Jesus returned back to earth and he began living in people, which was the fulfillment of the covenant God swore to Israel that he would do. I should say Jesus swore to Israel that he would create. 
create a new covenant and he will do for us what we can't do for ourselves. And then the whole, all the epistles and the gospels, they tell you to that he can do for you what you can't do for yourself. Even Jesus saying, come to me, all you who can't do this for yourself, who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will do it for you. That is the message of this new covenant. And it's the message of 2 Corinthians 10 too. I, I like doing it because it's a famous passage. Everybody quotes it. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, they say. Carnal's a bad word. It, it, it's sark, sarcucus. It's that word that gets translated flesh or human effort, human nature, human abilities, sinful nature. That's what we're talking about. We do not war in our sinful human nature. We do not think that we're going to battle against the sin guy or battle against the Satan. Not even the angels battled directly with Satan. They said, the Lord rebuke you. Remember when Michael the archangel was battling over, I think, Moses' bones? He said, the Lord rebuke you. And he's an archangel. He's the strongest of the angel. That's a lot stronger than we are. I myself say, the Lord rebuke you. I don't believe in my own human strength. I can tell the demons anything. That's what they said in, in Acts where these three guys said, in the name of Jesus, I tell you to come out of this guy. And the demon said to them, oh, Jesus, I know. And Paul, I recognize, but who are you? You're just a guy in your own human strength coming to cast me out of this guy. And the demon beat them up and they ran out of the demon's house naked, naked, because it wasn't really the spirit of Christ in there to cast out that demon. It has to be authentically a manifestation of Christ. You can say, oh, I'm in the spirit all you want. But if you're not acting the way Christ is, sad to say, you're not actually in the spirit. You're deceiving yourself and everybody around you. Let me say that again. If you're not loving your brothers, instead you're talking bad about them or something, but you're saying, man, it feels good to be in the spirit talking with you. You're not in the spirit. If you're loving your brothers, you're in the spirit. If you have love for one another, you're in the spirit. There's a way to tell if somebody is manifesting the spirit or their human nature. And that is what the letter of 1 John tells you. It tells you 25 different examples of whether somebody is in the flesh or in the spirit. Example after example of whether somebody is in the flesh or whether somebody's in the spirit, because that's what this whole New Testament is about. Understanding whether somebody is in the flesh or in the spirit, seeing the activity of the kingdom of God all around you in all his vessels 
running around in the kingdom, doing kingdom things. You can see it. You can see the activity of God all over. This New Testament teaches you how to see God every day in the people that are around you. It teaches you when you are experiencing God. It is all about being vessels that God uses. That is what this New Testament is about. And naturally, that's what 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and following is about. I'll read it to you. Okay. He says, I ask them when I'm present, I may not be bold with you and have the confidence which I propose to be courageous against some who regard us as if we walked according to human potential human nature, human strength, human ability. For though we walk in the flesh as humans, we do not war according to the human nature's power. For the weapons of our warfare are not human at all. The source of them is not human. They don't come from a human source. They're divinely powerful. They're divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses and the destroying of speculations and every lofty thing raised up against experiencing God or the knowledge of God, which is experiential knowledge of God and taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Now, does that say the obedience of Steve? Or does it say the thought gets taken captive to the obedience of Christ? Can Steve take that thought captive and make it behave and make the sin man inside his human nature behave? Well, we know from Romans 7, he can't. He says, that sin guy wages war in my members and takes me captive. Oh, who will separate me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Because Jesus Christ our Lord took the thoughts captive. It's him who does it. That's why this passage gives credit, present tense, to Christ taking the thoughts captive in your day-to-day -day life. He takes them captive to the obedience of himself. Present tense. Each time during the day, he takes these thoughts captive for you. In other words, you use his power on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. It's all about today. It isn't like he took these thoughts captive when he died on the cross and that other passage that says sin entered the world through one man but through one man's obedience righteousness started reigning that is on a different topic different topic all the better all together this is a, a temporal teaching right now 
that was an eternal teaching about what God did at, at the cross through his one act of obedience. That was an eternal teaching. This is a temporal teaching. This is about your day-to-day walk, and it's telling you not to wage war in your human nature, and it's telling you that Paul is coming against these people that were talking about waging war in their human nature, and he's telling those people, stop it. Just like you should tell anybody who talks about waging war in your human nature and being self-determinated and get your motivation up to do it and grit your teeth and do it as hard as you can, tell them, stop it, stop it. Just don't even go there because we're set up to fail if we do. We need the Spirit of God. Start talking about the Spirit of God. Just stop that human nature nonsense. It doesn't matter who it is, a preacher, anybody. Tell them, stop it. It's not the gospel. It's not true. It just ain't. It just ain't. Okay, I'll get off my soapbox. For the weapons of our warfare are not human, but they're of divine origin. For the destruction of fortress, for destroying speculations and every lofty thing that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. I want to do little redneck Greek Bible study, like Bill says. I just want us to go through these verbs and see see what the verbs are telling us. Because in this little passage, especially in, in 1 Corinthians 10, 4, it's all filled with nouns, and I won't bother you with that. I'm sorry. It's just a lot of nouns that you would think would be verbs. But let me just get us so that we can look at Okay, so 1 Corinthians 10, 3, it says, For though we walk, well, let me, let me go a little bit before that. Some who regard us as if we walk according to the flesh. That's the Greek word sarkoukos, and it means the human nature. And he's talking about a verb that's present tense. We are present tense in this day, walking according to the human nature. Today, June of 2023, we are walking in the human nature these people thought that Paul was doing. Paul was walking in the human nature in June of 2023. And he says, we don't. For though we walk in our human bodies, we do not war according to our human nature. Let's get that. That's an indicative statement. We don't do that. Paul said we don't war against these spiritual things in high places in our human nature. It doesn't work. It just produces the same results as Romans 7. I do what I don't want to do. And it's because sin lives in me and it dominates me. So 
so we don't war against these things in our human nature because our human nature does not win. It loses. Okay, you guys, it loses. I don't know how much more emphasis I can put on it. But the human nature loses. That's where you lose the battle. That's where you lose the ability to live the model Christian life. But it says, for we have weapons that are divine, divinely powerful. We have weapons that are divinely powerful for the casting down of things that we imagine. We imagine ourselves to be stronger than we should, humanly speaking, and we imagine that we can grit our teeth and, and bite down and become the Christian we never could become. Well, it says it casts down that imagination, that imagination about your human nature in the ability it has. It says these divine weapons cast down that imagination that you could actually live the Christian life in your own human nature. Don't you feel the need to quit thinking that way? Quit thinking that you could do it humanly speaking? I do. I want that thought to go away from me. I never want to think it again. And it says through the divine power, you can make it not remember such a thought. But it casts down the things that you imagine and things that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God, exalt, lift up high these ideas that are against, and there's the word again that can be translated experiencing God. It, these thoughts come against the knowledge of experiencing God, that you may experience Him, because in this passage, that's what he's talking about. That's really what this word should be translated. It is the word gnosis is the word that we can easily translate and easily make a case for. It translates as experience. So these divine powers that we have that we're going to find out is none other than Christ. They fight against this egotistical idea that we do not need to experience God, that experiencing God is not the most valuable thing on the planet, that, God, that Paul would rather, Paul said he would rather experience God than anything. He says, I count all things as loss in view of the surpassing value of experiencing God. Do you know what that word all means in the Greek? It means all. He said, I cast down all things in view of the surpassing value of experiencing God. And this passage is saying, 
Don't let any thoughts take you captive and make you think that experiencing God is not the most valuable thing on the planet. And it's the thing that you need the most in regard to living the Christian life. Then it goes on to say these divine powers. Now it's active voice toward the divine power. It's not you're you're doing the action. You're not doing the action, but this divine power is doing the action. It is bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. The divine power is what bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Why would it bring it to the obedience of Christ? Because the divine power is Christ. It is Christ. That's what the divine power is. Christ in you, the hope of glory, is your divine power. And we wrestle these imaginations not in human power but in the divine power of Christ and he takes every thought to the obedience of himself because he's the one who's in you isn't that what Paul said I produce coveting of every kind once the law came in and I don't know why I do it I don't understand it but I know that it lives in me, this sin that makes me covet and think about coveting all the time. I'm constantly thinking about coveting. And he says, oh, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from thinking about coveting all the time? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, because Jesus Christ made your thoughts obedient and stop coveting and think about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, the fruits of the Spirit. That's what Christ in you, the hope of glory, your only hope of glory, your only hope of bringing thoughts into captivity. That's what Jesus Christ does. He brings those thoughts into captivity. And those are active voice when you find a verb, like he that exalted himself, verb, present tense, middle voice, which is the same as active voice, participle, accusative. There you go. Bringing every thought into captivity. Present tense, middle voice again, which is active. There again, we're we're just looking at these verbs through the Greek lexicon just to make sure that I'm, I'm not preaching this wrong. Just double-checking myself right in front of you with the lexicon in front of me. But then it says, and this divine power is ready to revenge all disobedience once your obedience, and get this, once your obedience is made complete, 
passive voice. That's very important. Isn't that wild that it's passive voice? Naturally, the Greek would bring that out. The fact that it's passive voice, that's why he used the Greek language so he could bring these finer points out. It is once your obedience is made complete for you. Your human nature did not do this. The divine nature slash Jesus in you, the hope of glory, did this for you. He made your obedience complete because he took obedience and made it captive to himself. None other than Jesus Christ did he take it captive to. It went to him, Jesus. And he made your obedience complete. Do you see how there's no credit given to you? Because there shouldn't be. We haven't done these things. God has done the works of our hands. It's always been God who does these things. It's never been us who has accomplished anything. Apart from me, you can do nothing. All our righteousness is as a filthy rag. We've never, ever produced anything, even though I can tell you, I had the purest heart and the, 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 the best of intentions thinking that I was doing it for God and all I produced was thorns and thistles. I never produced anything good. I tried to comfort my neighbor and my words didn't comfort my neighbor. But I tried with the purest of heart. It's not that God is watching your heart to see if you're doing it from a pure heart or not. He's not doing that. The heart of man is desperately wicked. Who can know it? It's deceitful above all else. You're not going to produce, humanly speaking, a pure heart. But the heart of Christ, where in Romans 5, it says he's given you a new heart. You poured his love into that heart. That heart can purely love, because that is the heart of the new man. See how all these words, see how all these word pictures all come to the same conclusion? They're all focused on one point, making you realize one point. They're all supporting one idea that abide in me, and I'll abide in you, and you'll bear much fruit because apart from me you can do nothing and with the purest motives the most sincere heart with tears in my eyes I tried to produce fruit in other people's lives and get them to to smile or something and I couldn't do it they just constantly said that's not working I'm still sad as I can be I never could accomplish anything of any worth, any value, any real meaning. But Christ in me has done for me all those things I couldn't do myself. He spoke kind words that edified, that actually produced fruit. He did it. It's always been him. Whether I gave him the credit or not, I may have back then been taking credit for all the things he was doing. I did it out of ignorance. I didn't know. I, I thought, well, this time I can be proud of what I did. I know he died for all the times that I'm not proud of what I did, but this time I, I won one. I never won one. I didn't realize that. 
And I had that as a doctrine for many years. I could tell you the story of a guy that spoke to me one single sentence that he'll never remember, but I'll never forget. And it put me on a trajectory of thinking he died for all my sins, but I can still try to do good. And every once in a while, I win one and I do good. I lived like that for 15 years. Can you imagine? I lived like that for 15 years, thinking I won a couple every so often when the reality is I didn't. And the reality is when I was taking credit for it, just, just you know, innocently thinking, man, I, I, I got it right this time. I was actually preventing myself from storing up a treasure in heaven the treasure that came with that good work because the pat on the back I gave myself was all the reward I had. If I would have said Jesus did it, my reward would have been in heaven. But you see how all the new covenant flows one way. It flows towards the idea of I make a new covenant with you. I put my spirit in you. It does for you what you can't do for yourself. You give it the credit, and then you store up treasures in heaven on the 1 Corinthians 3 day of judgment, the great white throne judgment that people seem to be terrified of when it in reality is only about how many rewards you, you say. And it says, some of you will be saved as yet, as yet through fire. You won't have many rewards, but you will be saved, it says. That's the main thing, is being saved. And you are. So don't worry about that. Now let's try and store up some treasures in heaven. And we do that by giving Christ the credit for what he does. That's why Paul says, I don't wage war in my human nature but I wage war by Christ's power. See, he's giving Christ the credit. That's what stores him up, treasures in heaven. Like James chapter 2 said 2.12 I think Speak and act as those who will be judged by the perfect law that gives freedom. That's this law of the life of Christ that Romans 8, 2 speaks about. The law of the life of Christ has set you free from the law of sin and death. A law as a principle, as just like the law of gravity. Well, in James chapter 2, it says, speak and act as those who will be judged by that law of gravity, whatever the law of gravity produces in you is not of you, but it's the principle that you abide in. You remember James chapter 1 where he says, the man who looks at his face in the mirror and goes away and forgets what kind of man he is, and Romans 7 defines that man saying, he does what he doesn't want to do. He doesn't do what he does want to do. He's totally enslaved to the sin that dwells in him. 
James is saying, you look in the mirror and forget that you are that guy. And then it goes on to say, but the man who looks intently into this law of dynamics, the law of the spirit of life, the law of, that gives freedom, James calls it, and abides in that principle, abides in that law of dynamics, abides in that law of gravity. You abide in it. You use it as your means of liftoff, just like you use aerodynamics to help you fly. You abide in this law of aerodynamics. You use the aerodynamic laws to get you off the ground. Well, you use the in Christ laws of dynamics to cause you to live a Christian life. It's just that amazing, but that simple. Christ in you is the hope of glory, not you on your best day. That's not the hope of glory, that you have many great days. Christ in you is what gave you those great days, so give Christ in you the glory for it. Speak and act as those who will be judged by this law of dynamics. Whatever this law of dynamics didn't do in you, you don't get a reward for it. That's the same as in John chapter 3, after it says, For God sent his Son into the world, not to condemn it, but to save it. You know the passage, God gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Well, it goes on to say he didn't come down to earth to condemn the earth, but to save it. And then it says those who are not believing in him are condemned. And then it tells you what the condemned is or what the judgment is. The judgment is that they didn't want to come to the light because their efforts would burn up, but the efforts that Jesus did in them would produce rewards. It says those who do evil hate the light, but those who are practicing the truth, you're practicing the truth. What is the truth? I didn't do the good work. Jesus in me did the good work. Whatever that good work may be, that's practicing the truth. Well, John chapter 3 says, those who practice the truth run to the light so it may be clearly seen that what has been done has been done by God. What has been done through them, God did in them. That's practicing the truth. And when you practice the truth on the day of the 1 Corinthians 3 white throne judgment where all your works are tested by fire, if you've been practicing the truth, you, you run right to the fire and say, burn mine because they're going to burn up and I'm going to get lots of gold and fine jewelry. But the ones who thought they were producing the good works are going to avoid that fire because they're going to watch all their works burn up. Yet they themselves 
will be saved. 1 Corinthians 3.15. Right before it says, don't you know that you are the temple of God? It tells you about those who whose works burn up and those whose works produce fine jewelry. And then it says, don't you know that you are the temple of God? Because don't you know that's the right way to store up treasures in heaven? He just comes out and says it right at the end of telling you about works that burn up and works that make it. He says, don't you know that you are the temple of God? Well, that's a clue. I'm the temple of God, and he manifests himself through me, and he does for me what I can't do for myself. I'll make a new covenant with you. I'll put my spirit in you and cause you to walk in my statutes, cause you to live the exemplary Christian life. I will cause you to do that, so give me credit, and you will receive rewards. See, the new covenant is literally that simple. I make a new covenant with you. I put my spirit in you. It does for you what you can't do for yourself. You give it credit and store up treasures in heaven. How much simpler is the covenant? It doesn't get any simpler than that. I hope that you guys take root in that one statement I just made. I put my spirit in you. It does for you what you can't do for yourself. You get it, give it credit, and store up treasures in heaven. That is speaking and acting like those who will be judged by the perfect law that gives freedom in James chapter 2. Or that is practicing the truth in John chapter 3, last verses in the end of the chapter. That is what Paul was, why Paul was saying we do not want again in war in our human nature but our weapons are divine and they do all the work he was telling you that so that you would realize that and give Christ the credit for what is being done through you and store up treasures in heaven because he's blatantly telling you every day that you live you better live by the Spirit of God and not your human efforts. And God will make you think about living by His Spirit and not human effort. Because in your human nature, your thoughts will become lofty. And they will exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. That's what your thoughts will do if they're left by themselves without the Spirit of Jesus protecting and causing those thoughts to be obedient to himself on a day-to-day experiential basis. That is the gospel in a nutshell. In a nutshell. So, And I just want to pray that this message is understandable, that God, God, would you give all the guard dogs a spirit of wisdom and revelation? It's very important that you do. Without it, they won't get the revelation. That's why I always ask you, like Paul asked in Ephesians, 
I ask you to give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Ephesians 1.15 and following. It's a great little passage to memorize you guys. Okay, I'm back to praying to God. God, please give them that spirit of wisdom and revelation. Please open the eyes of their hearts so they can see these pictures that you are making for them and give them a mind that understands and uh, ears to hear what the podcast, what you said in the podcast using my not-so-great voice You said these things in the podcast. Let them hear from you. Give them the power to do it because the the power to listen and hear and absorb these thoughts are not of human nature. They are not carnal. They are divinely powerful, powerful to the hearing and absorbing Christian thought spiritual thoughts expressed in spiritual words like 1 Corinthians 2 tells us. The mind of the human nature cannot accept the things of the Spirit of God because he can't understand them, so they're foolish to him, is what 1 Corinthians 2 says. But, Lord, you know all that. Just please bless, bless, and double bless in your Son's name ask you to do these things for all the guard dogs out there. Thanks, you guys. Love you.